It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's rock a mic And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on the rock show What's up, Mike? How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. And uh, damn, today we're doing another tribute show. Yeah, man, it's dropping like flies, man. Can you, can you believe that? It's another, yeah, another major, major musician and producer and innovator, uh, Lee Scratch Perry. Yeah. Passed away last Sunday on the 29th. Um, yeah, this one, you know, I, I was... I was a little unsure if we should do a tribute or not. I, I, I know I've, I'm a big fan of his. I wasn't sure how many of our, our fans. Uh, but I decided that he was, you know, such an important figure that even if you don't know who he is, you're going to learn today a little bit. And, uh, you know, I just want to talk about the, um, the importance of this guy. Um, Lee Scratch Perry was, you know, a force to be reckoned with in the, in the genre of reggae music. Yeah. Okay. Uh, were you familiar with him at all, Rob? Yeah, because he pretty much, um, he pretty much, he was like more, he was like a DJ producer. Yeah. He influenced a lot of the reggae sound we have now. The reggae that's... Well, the, 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 the reggae music, you know, okay, uh, especially, uh, you know, traditional sounding reggae, yeah. really comes from him more yeah. than more than any other producer. Uh, not to take away from some of the others, but Lee had such a... Uh, I guess you could say a unique sound. Okay. Yeah. And he was a guy that, you know, was a little out there. He was into the mystical. Okay. And, and, and he was a, a person that if you were a fan of reggae, even if you weren't playing reggae music all the time, in other words, like bands like the clash worked with him yeah. for a short time. Um, the Beastie Boys worked with had, him. Right. The Beastie Boys did a, a track with him in the nineties, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, even people like Keith Richards would would tout him as, you know, a, a very important person. Um, you know, he was a guy that uh, if you went to work in his studios, the Black Ark Studios in the 70s, which actually was in his fucking backyard. OK, uh, it, you know, it, 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 was, it was like a guaranteed hit. Yeah, at least, you know, at least in the U.K., and uh, and Jamaica, where this stuff was huge, um, you know, my 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 always my big complaint all the time is that reggae music isn't as big in America as it is in other places. Um, I wish that had been different. Um, even people like Bob Marley in the seventies was getting a lot of critical acclaim in America, and he was selling records, but. You know, other than him, the the whole genre never really took off as a, as a big thing. But but you know, if you're familiar with reggae music, uh, Lee Scratch Perry is is a legend, right? Yeah, big time legend. You know, so let me tell you a little bit about him. 
uh, get into a little bit of his early history. I'm not going to talk about his whole career because we'd be here for like two hours. <laughs> but, 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 you know, but, uh, you know, when, when, when someone passes like this, uh, you know, one of these iconic characters, uh, you got to talk a little bit about how he got to where he was. And uh, anybody else that's interested, you could always private message me. We could talk about it. We could look it up. You know, um, he's, he's definitely a very interesting character. Now, he was born Rainford Hugh Perry on March 20th, 1936 in the town of Kendall, Jamaica. Okay. Now, that's in uh, Jamaica is divided up into parishes, and that's in the parish of Hanover. Okay. And he was the third child of Ina Davis and Henry Perry. And his mother had strong African traditions that were from her Yoruba ancestry. Now, if you have Yoruba ancestry, that means you're from a Western African background, mostly what would be kind of considered Nigeria. Okay. Uh, his parents were both laborers, hardworking folks, but his father also at one point became a professional dancer. So the impression I get is there was, there was definitely some um, kind of artistry kind of influence in his background that his father was, was a professional dancer at one point. Now, he left school at age 15. It was not for him. Um, to be honest, he didn't do much after that for a while. He, he yeah. just spent, spent his time playing dominoes. All, okay. And he kind of just did what he wanted to do. But he eventually ended up in, um, in Clarendon. That's another town. And he got into dance, like his father, and music. And he earned the nickname The Neat Little Thing. That's what they used to call him when he was a teenager. <laughs> now, Lee would later move to Kingston, which is the main city in Jamaica, capital. Okay. Um, after experiencing a, a, a mystical connection to stones and crystals, okay? Now, Kingston, the word Kingston actually means king's stone. So he had this, this mystical connection to stones, and he just moved there for that reason, okay? Not to mention it was the center of everything going on in Jamaica as well. Okay, now he would soon apprentice at Studio One, which was Studio One was the main studio, uh, in the, in the, that began in the 50s, where uh, ska music, uh, even Calypso in the 50s, uh, ska music, and eventually reggae would all come out of Studio One. And he was there at a young age, you know, probably, you know, early 20s at the most, okay, and uh, just was working at Studio One. Now, Perry's musical career started in the late 50s as a record seller, all right, when he was working at Studio One as well. And that was for Clement Coxone Dodd's sound system. Now, Dodd, Coxone Records and all that, Dodd was a, was a sound system guy at first, which was really like a DJ, okay? They called it sound systems. These guys had these, like, state-of-the-art kind of what you'd see today with DJs, but, you know, in the 50s, the music was, the, the equipment was a little more primitive. Yeah. But, they, you know, there were a few guys doing this, and, and they would all compete with each other, and they would also discover artists, uh, press a couple of records. When I say a couple, I might 
you know, 100, okay? And these, these sound system guys would compete with each other. And they would be like, have their fans. And the fans would follow them to wherever they were setting up that weekend, okay? Friday night, Saturday night. Uh, different halls, different outside locations in Jamaica, I guess, depending on the weather. And uh, uh, Lee Scratch Perry was a was a record seller for Clement Coxon Dodd, but he didn't get along with Dodd. Yeah, uh, for some reason, these guys just did not get along. They argued over everything, mostly money. Okay, uh, Dodd had a, had a reputation for ripping off people, so you know who knows what went on there, but. These disagreements eventually forced him to leave the studio, Studio One, and he's found a new home at Joe Gibbs Amalgamated Records. Now, Joe Gibbs was a was another producer and sound system guy and all that stuff. He had a studio. Okay, working with Gibbs, Perry continued his recording career, but once again, tensions and financial differences and problems began, and that caused conflict. So he would break away from Gibbs. And this time, yeah, I mean, but he was getting to he was starting to hone his craft in the in the studio. Um, He decided at that point to break out on his own and form his own record label, which was called Upsetter Records in 1968. Now, he had a band that was like the house band called the Upsetters. Yeah. All right. And uh, I believe he played in this band as well. It wasn't just, you know, producing. He was involved with the, the actual songwriting. Um, when you when you would when he would produce you. OK, uh, you were using his band. OK, so so many songs that you hear from the late 60s, early 70s, you know, that were involved with his productions were, were ups, the upsetters. That's the that's the band. Kind of like the Funk Brothers were to Motown, yeah. you know, on a smaller scale. But yeah, I mean, definitely. Now, um, basically, uh, he 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 also would record stuff as his own under his own name. Okay, uh, his first major single was a song called "People Funny Boy." All right, and it was an insult directed at Gibbs. Okay, <laughs> it was like they was like slamming him in the song. Yeah. And uh, kind of kind of directly almost, even though they say it's indirect. They, it was pretty direct. All right. And that record sold 60,000 copies in Jamaica alone, which, which, good, you which know is good, which is huge. Yeah. For Jamaica, that's especially back then. Yeah. Very big. OK. Now, um, it's memorable, the song, because it actually samples uh, a baby crying in the in the in the song. OK. Yeah, it's and it's, it's, huh? I, I think it's like calling him a crybaby basically, you know, and uh, it has this fast kind of chugging beat that would be identifiable as to what reggae would be. Okay, so he, you know, really was a force in in this invention of reggae. Where did reggae come from? Just real quick. Well, in Jamaica, you had ska music first. Okay, and then it kind of morphed into reggae, which was a slower beat. Now, uh, reggae artists will tell you that the, 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 the average beat for reggae music is just a, maybe two or three beats faster than your heartbeat, than an average heartbeat. So it actually, it, it, you know, 
you identify on a on a bodily physical level okay because of that and um lee you know lee definitely was involved in inventing that sound now similarly his acrimonious 1967 single as lee king perry okay it was a song called run for cover and that one was an insult that coxone died all right yeah. so so he was he was getting some anger out in some early songs that he had against uh, these fellow get these fellow uh, producers and sound system guys that he worked with that he was angry with so from 1968 to 1972 he worked with his studio band the upsetters and during the 70s perry i mean this was really his his heyday as far as originality and uh doing something that no one had done before uh you know he he had interesting sounds coming out of that that studio okay now he released numerous recordings in the 70s on a variety of record labels he 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 had stuff out on his own label but also others um but the labels that he worked with were all ones that he kind of controlled okay in some way or another so he he really was was adamant about controlling his own music all right which is not you know in going back decades i mean people may think that's common today it really wasn't all right you really didn't have a lot of control and that was across all genres of music now um most of his songs did very well commercially and because of the jamaican and the uk connection there's a, of course, Jamaica used to be a colony. They gave their, gave them their independence in the early sixties. Uh, but there's still a strong connection to this day of UK, of the UK and Jamaica. There's a lot of Jamaican people that live in the UK and the seventies and the sixties was a heyday of a lot of Jamaicans immigrating back to, to the UK. Now he soon became known for his unique production techniques and what would be his eccentric character. Uh, one thing he used to do, <laughs> I think this is funny, is when he would finish recording, he'd have your master tapes, right? And he would blow weed smoke on the, on the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> and he was convinced that would, you know, put it in its right place and make it sell. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Okay, so he was he was an eccentric guy, okay? Yeah. Uh, he wore crazy clothes, and, you know, he was really out there. But in 1970, Lee Perry produced and released the Whalers track, Mr. Brown, yeah. with, with Bob Morley, okay? Uh, and it had some very unusual studio effects on it. The opening has, like, an eerie kind of opening on it. And it was all a very unique uh, approach to production. Now, Bunny very, it was a very unique sound. Like people yes. never heard sounds like that. So they were like, yes. "Whoa, what the fuck?" Yeah, exactly. Right now, now, uh, Bunny Whaler, who unfortunately we, we we saw pass this year as well, um, he basically said for the rest of his life that he hated Lee Scratchberry. Lee ripped them off. They, he felt that they he ripped off the Whalers. Uh, at that early, early point in their career and that, you know, things, you know, it, it just could have been different for them 
after if they, that if that didn't happen. So I don't know. You know, there's a lot of he said, she said. I don't know what's true, what's not. But uh, they never worked with him again. Okay, so obviously something happened. Now, in 1973, he built the Black Ark Studios that I mentioned was in his backyard. Okay, he built it to have more control over his productions. Okay, he just wanted to be able to record any time of day, any time of night. He didn't want to have to rent space or anything like that. So he built his own production studio and it was called the Black Ark. And. You know, it was here that he he did produce Bob Marley and the Whalers. Okay, the the ones I mentioned, the songs that I mentioned as well. Uh, between seventy and seventy three, they worked with him a couple of times, but no mo- no more after that point. Okay, and at that time, he was producing Bob Marley. He was producing Junior Biles, Junior Mervin, the Heptones, the Congos, one of my favorites, yeah. and Max Romeo, also also another one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, you know, War, War in a Babylon, okay, is uh, one of the greatest reggae songs of all time. It's an anthem for, for Rastas, and uh, he was totally behind all that. Um, virtually all his productions at this time were done on pretty basic equipment through which Perry's kind of unique techniques created a very unique sound. So it was during this time he produced many artists and created such classic reggae albums as Cloak and Dagger, Blackboard Jungle, Super Ape, Roast Fish, Collieweed, and Cornbread. That's a, great, that, that's, a great, that's, a great, that's a great fucking album. And Return of the Super Ape. I have all those albums, okay? And... Uh, I like Super Ape and Return of the Super Ape a lot. Uh, it's a mishmash of different bands. It's like a compilation album, pretty much, both of them. And uh, but it's it's that Lee Scratch Perry sound, you know. And uh, it's it, listen to it, check it out on YouTube. Super Ape, and then the second one came out a couple of years later. Return of the Super Ape. Now by seventy eight, nineteen seventy eight, stress. And many outside influences began to kind of take their toll. The Black Ark Studios fell into disrepair. He wasn't working as much. At one point, he decided that the studio was actually possessed by evil. Okay. (laughs) And he burnt it down. He burnt burnt the studio down in his backyard. Okay. In in a fit of a rage, you know, that, that that was... You know, the place was possessed by the devil kind of thing. So after the demise of Black Ark, uh, Perry spent some time in the U.S. and England. Okay, one thing I I, I forgot to mention um, in 76, 77, um, the the Clash in England, who were big fans, uh, of course, big reggae fans as well, especially Paul Simon and the bass player. Um, and, and, uh, 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 Mick Jones and, and, uh, and Joe Strummer as well. Um, they asked him to produce their single complete control. Okay. Which is a great song. It's not a reggae song. No, it's a, it's a, it's a just a UK 77 punk song. Okay. And, uh, one of their best songs actually. And, uh, he did, he did it. So 
you know, he, he did it and it came out great. And it, it just showed that his versatility, he could really work with anybody. And they really wanted to work with him. And, and he agreed to it. So that was cool. But um, after the Black Ark Studios were burned down, he was in England and the United States for some time. He made like some very strange recordings with a bunch of different collaborators. Um, nothing to, I, I don't want to say it's nothing to check out, but some of this period is kind of a down period for him. Took, took about 10 years for him to kind of get back on track. But by the late 80s, um, he began working with British producers Adrian Sherwood and Neil Fraser, uh, who was better known as the Mad Professor. Okay, uh, He also decided to, Perry decided to quit drinking and smoking weed Okay, uh, at this point. And, and he, he just says, I don't need any of that stuff anymore. Um, he carried on through the eighties and nineties working with different people. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, experimenting in the studio yeah. in, in 1998, he collaborated with the beastie boys on a track called Dr. Lee PhD. And that was on the album. Hello nasty. Yeah. Did you know, you know that album, right? Did you know that? was yeah. Lee, Did you know that was Lee scratch Perry? Yeah. Okay, okay. I don't know if too many people realize that. Now, in 2003, uh, you know, at that point, he was really an elder statesman, you know, 35 years in the industry. Uh, if he put out anything, it was critically acclaimed. Uh, it did very well. He got some Grammy nominations at that time. I believe he won, I believe he won a couple of Grammys as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he won, uh, in 2003, he won a Grammy for Best uh, Reggae Album, right. Jamaican E.T. Right. Now, it, it's interesting. The very first band to ever win a reggae Grammy, you would think it was Bob Marley or something, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, they didn't have that category until about, uh, I believe, 1986 or so. Black Uru was the first band to ever win a Grammy in the reggae category. Um for their album anthem okay yeah. and um but you know by the early 2000s as a you know a major player in reggae music and he was getting after 30 years a lot of respect a lot of uh you know commendations and you know recognized finally in the in in, in the world pretty much now towards the end of his life he lived in switzerland uh with his life with his wife morell um, and sadly, he suddenly died. I didn't know if he, he was sick or anything like that. He died last Sunday, the 29th of August, uh, in Jamaica. Okay. Which is where he was born. So it's quite appropriate, but, uh, sadly he's gone 85 years old and you know, he was, yeah, good life, you know? And, uh, yeah. And the music of course will always live on. Wow. So, that's all I got for you today. Pretty good, man. Pretty good tribute to the man, the legend, uh, one of the few Godfathers that brought um, Jamaican music to, like the white audience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent on that. You know, it was it was in Jamaica, through the UK, um, and then out to the rest of the world. Yeah. You know? So that's really pretty true. impressive. So, Mike, thank you for the information.
You're welcome. And um, and freaking another trivia, another legend passes away. Uh, like I said, after the Charlie Watts ones, man, I'm getting tired of these, man. Yeah. But, you know, they're dropping, they're dropping like flies. Well, you know, and the music always lives on, and 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 you could always thank God for the internet. You could always find out about these people, and they're, they're very good. You know, good sources out there to, to learn these things. And yeah, read about Lee Scratch Perry. He's a very interesting guy. I only t- I only scratched the surface of Lee Scratch. <laughs> I think they have a documentary about him and the Upsetter, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was something done in 2011, the, 11, I think, or 13, 11. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he's he's recognized for the legend that he is now. It took about 30 years, but he got that. Yeah, you know who narrated that? But his um narrative the documentary. Okay, cool. So I definitely got to watch it. Yeah, the episode, a documentary film yeah. about Perry, narrated by Benito de Toro. Yes, Benito de Toro. Cool guy. Cool guy. All right, guys. So this is another uh, tribute show, the rock show. Um, and people, thank you for your support. Follow us on Twitter. Um, Facebook and Instagram, and like every other show, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next week. Take care, people. The only podcast you will hear. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.